0: Hey everybody, it's David Creek. I want to thank you for listening to the Westchester Church Podcast. We're coming to you from the Philadelphia area. And you can check out our website at WestchesterCFC.com. WestchesterCFC dot All right, well, a month or so ago. Our message came to us from Acts chapter 16, how a jailer in Philippi rejoiced in Christ along with all of his family, having asked the question, what must I do to be saved? Well, this morning our message comes to us from that same text in Acts chapter 16, and yet the message is a brand new message. It's a different message. And you know it really speaks to what a bottomless well of wisdom and treasure the scriptures really are. I mean, there's just so much that's happening on any given page as we open it and as we read it. Well, here is our backstory this morning in Acts chapter 16. As you're turning there, the apostle Paul and Silas have have gone down in the Macedonia on a missionary journey, and they have have gone to a place now in Philippi where they are headed to a place of prayer. Paul and Silas are are always praying, and so they're going to a place of prayer. And yet before they reach the place of prayer, though, they are approached by a slave girl. And if you read the original text in the original language, it says that the slave girl is possessed by the spirit of Python. We wonder, well, I mean, what in the world does that mean, that she was possessed by the spirit of Python? Well, Apollo was one of the prominent gods worshipped in this Greco-Roman world in this time. He had temples all over the world and one very close to this region. Well, as legend had it, Apollo one day killed a snake, a python, and so he became known as Pythian Apollo. And so somehow a spirit latched onto that, and, and that spirit then latched onto her in some way. Specifically, how this unclean spirit manifested itself in her was in the art of deception. She would go around pretending that she could predict what would happen in the future. A lot of people came to her. And yet, what made it even worse, though, was when she began following Paul and Silas around and calling attention to them in the streets amid blood-curdling shrieks that these are servants of the Most High God. Everybody gather around, listen to the way of salvation spoken by them. And so she looks like a raging lunatic, and she's endorsing Paul and Silas in that way, in um, in a public way. And so finally, Paul has enough. He confronts this unclean spirit of python in her, It leaves her, but as we see in our text, though, that is something that would come at a great price for Paul and Silas. Specifically, it would be the price of their blood and of their freedom. As you might imagine, these slave masters are irate as as the spirit leaves their, their slave. And it is then when Paul and Silas are met with a barrage of grave injustices, as her slave masters dragged Paul and Silas before the magistrates and began accusing them. And as they begin accusing Paul and Silas, there's a lot of racial stuff going on, sadly. What they say in so many other words is, these Jews are disturbing our city, and they are imposing their Jewishness upon us, and they're trying to alter our customs. And yet what was really going on behind the scenes, the the real reason why these slave masters were as angry as they were, is because for evidently a very long time, they had been exploiting this woman. They had been exploiting the slave. And her fortune telling was making them a great fortune in their bank account. And yet the moment that the spirit is driven out of her and their meal ticket is gone and they they recognize that their little vaudeville show has been shut down, well, they are irate at Paul and Silas. Another great injustice that is happening, though, is that magistrates are supposed to have the accused best interest in mind, too. Magistrates were... were, really designed to protect the accused and to see that they got a fair trial. And yet it appears in the text that the moment that they hear these men are Jews and then they accuse them, this angry mob is revved up. And we all know what angry mobs are capable of doing. This angry mob in Acts chapter 16 resorts to what angry mobs are still resorting to all of these years later when you start messing with their gods and exposing them. They get very violent very quickly. So everybody begins attacking Silas and Paul. They strip them completely naked in front of everybody and begin beating them with rods on their bare skin. And I can assure you just one strike with that rod would have had us seeing stars and limping home and having great trouble walking for a number of days. But, I mean, it's one thing in Jewish culture, 39 lashes was considered the max. But in this Roman colony, though, no such rule existed. We're going to see that in our text. And then after all of this, Paul and Silas are thrown into prison. And so we read in Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 23. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them into the inner prison, and he fastened their feet in the stocks. Then about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners We're listening to them. I mean, Silas and Paul have just been brutally beaten. They've been slandered. They've been disgraced in a very public and in a very civic way. And now of all places, they now find themselves in a foreign jail with stocks stretching their legs uncomfortably apart, making it almost impossible to sleep. And they're bleeding They're bruised, they're sleep-deprived, every motion and movement of their body setting off explosions of agonizing pain. And yet Paul and Silas were very different, though. And that's because Paul and Silas had a spiritual gladness that this world, no matter how hard it tried, could not extinguish. As we read in our text, Luke says that it was about midnight. Night is so often the poetic device that the scriptures use in order to denote a darkness and a blackness far greater than the hue of the sky at night. It's very clear to us that Paul and Silas have just endured and are still experiencing one of the very worst midnights and and night times that this world has ever thrown at them. And yet we marvel at their alien response. When writhing in pain in their jail cell, in the heat of the moment, Paul and Silas respond with joy, with praising God, and with prayer. And you know, we all know exactly how how that feels. In those rare select episodes in our life where for a short duration of time, Everything in our lives felt like heaven. It felt like perfection. When something exciting happens and we are so utterly ecstatic that we are disoriented with bliss. Maybe it was when you got a promotion. Or when you held your first born infant in your hands for the very first time. Or maybe it was when your loved one who had been very sick before suddenly discovered that they were in remission. And we just felt so insanely ecstatic that we felt as if we could sing and dance so much that we may have actually literally sung and danced in response. And yet what is so unusual about this is that all of those things are what we consider good news. And yet as Paul and Silas are victim to this horrific mistreatment, to illegal imprisonment, into purple scars, into nude beatings. This is their response in the abyss of their night, where they're thrown into that inner prison cell and it's as if they just won a billion dollar jackpot. They're responding as if their life is a musical and they are the actors in it. And yet the world looks at this and says, this, this is bad news. What, no? What's wrong with you guys? And yet the reason why they responded with joy in such a circumstance as this, I believe is because their joy, it was rooted in the joy of Jesus Christ. And because life in Jesus and, and being in Jesus' presence was their joy itself, no matter what this world tried to do to them, Where as long as we have Jesus in our life, then this is the greatest day that we have ever lived so far. I mean, I just marvel at this because they literally stop everything that they are doing. And they start praying to the living God and they start worshiping His name. As most of us have discovered, traffic can be a very negative place sometimes. It can be a very angry atmosphere. And, you know, it's probably why whenever I drive, I have either one of two kinds of music playing in my car. I listen to mariachi music. It's, I mean, it is a party. It is the happiest music on the face of the earth. I don't know what they're saying, but the music is just so happy. So upbeat and positive. And I'm driving to, you know, all these horns and trumpets blaring out of my, my car speaker. And, you know, I'm getting honked at sometimes. I'm getting flipped off, but I don't even know that it's really happening because I'm too busy being happy over here. Plus, it gets me really, really, really hungry for Mexican food, which, which also is very good. You know, I, I like that. And yet primarily, though, I've got worship on, on my car speaker. I'm driving along and I'm, I'm, I'm just singing my heart out with, with um, acapella about how God came to our rescue, about singing to the glory of His name and, and all of these wonderful worship songs. And I've discovered that when we lose ourselves in habitual prayer and in worship as we go about the day, we're not complaining. We're not despairing. We have a gratitude no matter what the circumstance is in our lives. And as long as we are in a mind of prayer and of, of worship, all is completely still within us. As Paul and Silas are in prison, we don't know exactly what prayers they prayed or, uh, or precisely the songs that they sung. But, but I don't know, maybe they had sung Psalm 46. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. And so we will not fear even though the earth gives way, although the mountain be moved into the heart of the sea and its waters roar and foam. No matter what is going on in this world, it says the Lord of hosts is with us. And so this is a day of celebration. I mean, there's just something so utterly powerful about singing borrowed words and expressing them to the Lord and praying our hearts out to God in the night. Many years ago, Albert Barnes said that the Christian can find more joy in the depths of of, um, a dungeon than can the monarch seated on his throne. And so Paul and Silas respond to this horrific mistreatment in song and in prayer. And yet as we also see, though, it's not merely that they responded in worship and in prayer in jail, but did you notice how verse 25 ends? Paul and Silas, it was midnight, and they were singing hymns of praise to God, and they were praying. And then Luke says, though, and the prisoners were listening to them. They were praising God, and the prisoners were listening to them and they weren't telling them to shut up they weren't saying hey we're trying to sleep in here it doesn't say that they were shouting over them it doesn't say that they were laughing at them it says that they were listening to them and when it says that the prisoners were listening to Silas and the Paul this this is not modern listening is it I think we all know what modern listening is, where one person is speaking to another, the other person is on their phone. Or I think it will resonate with, with all of the ladies especially. Selective listening, I mean every wife knows all about selective listening. You ask your husband, hey, what did I just say? And he says, yeah, I was listening. Yeah, but what did I say? Well, I don't know. You know, that's that's many times the kind of listening that we have in this world. But... When it says that these prisoners were listening to Paul and Silas, though, that word for listening means literally captive listening. It means that it's, it's somebody who has their undivided attention, and they are feasting on every element of the noise that they're hearing. This is the kind of listening that oftentimes happens if, if there is a hurricane going through, perhaps, and a person watches the news as they give updates about the hurricane, if anybody speaks, they are probably going to get get, um, silenced. This is the kind of listening that I would like to call lowest-level listening. A lot of us remember Lois Williams in this church. And every one of us, I'm sure, who knew her have countless memories. We were speaking to her. I mean, she would sit down on the pew, She would give us her undivided attention as if we were the only other person in the world. And what we were saying to her was was the most urgent, most important thing imaginable. And yet as their prison mates from the inner jail cry aloud to God at midnight, this is how these other prisoners are listening to what they're saying to God. And as they listen, they are utterly mesmerized by what they're hearing. I mean, how could anybody rejoice in a place as low as this, you know? Are these guys really shouting for joy behind those bars? Looking the way that they do after taking such a beating? I mean, what kind of a tranquility is this? I mean, what is this that we're hearing right now? Now, we don't know who they were. We don't know what they did to even get in there in the first place. We don't know if they ever gave Jesus another thought for the rest of their lives. But all we know is that in this moment in time, believers were praising God in the night. And that the prisoners were listening, and they were hanging on every single word that they were hearing. And somebody might ask, well, what about Jesus In A Sermon on the Mount, didn't he say to not pray in front of other people to be heard by them? Well, if we read this very carefully, though, it becomes very clear to us that this was not Paul and Silas practicing their righteousness in order to be seen and praised by other people. No part of this was any kind of a show for anybody. They weren't trying to impress everybody with, with their um, ability of, of song or what little pious angels they were as they prayed. I mean, clearly they had nowhere else to go and nowhere else to look but up. I mean, they're in this scary situation. And yet their secret is, is that prayer and worship were, were really not just one hour of their life in a synagogue but rather worship and prayer was their lifestyle Silas and Paul considered worship and prayer to be necessities of their soul and spiritual survival no this is not praying to be seen this is praying in such a way and living in such a way so that Jesus can be seen in them and so that all of these prisoners could know that there really is hope And that there is a light in a world as dark as this. And yet as we've sent so many times though, it's not only criminals who are prisoners in this world. In so many ways, it also speaks about who we used to be when when once upon a time, along with all the people now who, who don't know Jesus right now, we were prisoners we were slaves of sin as paul says in romans it speaks to all of those areas in our heart where where we very much still even as we sit here this morning might be a prisoner a prisoner to the past a prisoner to lost a prisoner to gossip or to hatred or unforgiveness and bigotry And yet, what we need to constantly be aware of is that as we live the Christian life every single day, we we probably don't even realize it. But every single day that we live a life for Jesus, we have a captive audience. We all, every one of us has a captive audience. And for better or for worse, These captive audiences of ours are listening. They're watching. They're noticing and they're taking note how we respond to insults. They are looking at how we respond to adversity and to hardships. They're listening how we speak to other people and and how we treat our spouse. I'll never forget many years ago, I was in an emergency room in Florida with with a brother named Moses Blake. It was a very crowded emergency room, very noisy, everybody shouting over the other in order to be heard. And Moses at that time in his life was, was in a world of pain. He could barely walk. He had a cane. Very sick. We were speaking for a few minutes, but then, I don't know what had prompted this, but all of a sudden he and I both just, just start singing victory in Jesus right there in his emergency room. And it began as kind of a hum, but the more that we, we sang it, the more we believed it, and, and the louder that we got. And I'll never forget how this very noisy ER room came to a hush. I mean, it was so quiet in that room, you could hear a needle drop. And yet, more than anything, though, there was a peace in that room that could be felt. I mean, you could just feel that peace. And then afterwards, a few minutes later, a, 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 a woman walks up to Moses' bed and says to him, I just want to let you know that it's been so many years since I've heard that song. And she had tears in her eyes and said, thank you so much for bringing that song back into my life. It it really helped me just now. What I discovered is, I mean, even though we were terrible singers, (laughs) they were listening. They were listening in the emergency room. Well, a year and a half ago, when we were still uh, a digital church mainly, I preached one morning at Rolling Green at um, a cemetery right down the street. This is one of my absolute favorite Westchester memories so far. Just getting out of the um, cathedral and and feeling the wind on your face as you preach, just nothing like that. And yet as I'm standing there speaking in front of a camera, I noticed that there was was, um, um, a fence, and on the other side of the fence in the graveyard, was a neighborhood, and a few minutes into the message, I, I could hear a person go to um, start their car, and yet then something very interesting happened. It sounded as if it were, were a woman, kept coughing, and yet she stopped dead in her tracks, and, and she just sat there for, for almost the, the whole entire sermon. It's hard to explain, but I could literally hear her listening to me. Then close to the end of the message, I could hear her start her car and she drove off many, many minutes later. But I have no idea who she was. I don't know if she was a Christian or if she was, was rolling her eyes the whole time I spoke. But what I do know is that as I spoke in a very sad and in a very lonely place, she was listening She was listening. And just a few weeks ago, I pulled up outside of a coffee shop here in town. One mile from where we are this morning. And a guy was coming in in a huge truck just as I was trying to park my car. This guy's truck was so enormous that he took up his parking space and a lot of my parking space too, you know. Only parking space I could get into, and so I just... Very carefully tried to squeeze in there. And the next thing I know, this guy has his arms throwing up and down and he's screaming at me. I mean, screaming at me. I, I can't repeat what he said. I would get fired. <laughs> but suffice to say, just a barrage of four-letter words and homosexual slurs. You know, the general idea of, of his message that he was trying to convey to me is that I was too close to his truck, blankety-blankety-blank, bleep-bleep-bleep, get the bleep-bleep-bleep out of my bleep-bleep way, you know. So that was going on, and, and, and then, by the way, he begins motioning towards my car, you know, motioning as if maybe he wanted to fight me or something. I'm thinking, what is going on right now? And yet somehow, though, in the heat of the moment unlike so many other times in my past, finally I remember Jesus. As his screams grew louder and his body language became more and more menacing, all I can say is that the spirit, it took over. He took over. I just took a deep breath and I responded in a spirit of of tenderness. I just looked at him like, how can I help you today, sir? And then I just calmly motioned that, okay, I I am going to back up now and I'll let you go. Guy had no idea what to do with that. I mean, it, it completely caught him off guard. Completely changed his entire demeanor. I mean, maybe he expected me to come running out of my car and you know, swinging at him or yelling at him even louder, but... I mean, he didn't know what to do with that response until finally he just kind of hung his head and looked utterly ashamed of himself. Then he just quietly, slowly drove off onto the highway. I mean, I have no idea who he was or why he was, you know, having such a bad day, why he wanted to get into a fight over a parking space at a coffee shop, but... What I do know is that he was listening to my body language. He was watching my response. I mean, I, maybe he's going through a divorce right now, and he just learned that he lost custody of his children. Maybe his mother just died. Maybe he, he lost his job. Maybe he wasn't loved as a child. I, I mean, it could be anything. Maybe he is just, just a very unpleasant person. I don't know, but... But maybe, just maybe, it's midnight in his life right now. I think a lot of people are living in midnight right now who we encounter. But, you know, no matter what he has to say to me about me, listen, there's a God in heaven. There's a Jesus in my soul. There's a Holy Spirit in my life. And no matter how loud he cussed me out, I mean, come on, that's my neighbor. That's a person who Jesus Christ loves so much that he died for just as he died for me. I don't want to fight the guy. I want to show him Jesus. And And I mean, every single day that we live, that is our responsibility. And all of those examples are just my life. But I know everybody here, whether you know it or not, people have been watching you. And I know people have been walking away from you thinking, wow, what was that response all about? If I could just have a little bit of their tranquility, man, life is going to be so much better for me. See, whether we know it or not, in our, our unhappiness and in our night alike, when we walk with God in prayer and when we live a lifestyle of worshiping His name, I promise you that the prisoners are going to be listening it might be our next-door neighbor perhaps it might be a coworker of ours relatives it might be a person who we have no idea who they are but they're mistreating us outside of a coffee shop perhaps maybe for others of you it might just be your children and you just carry this weight of sadness all day long thinking i have failed them they they don't love the lord anymore I just want to encourage you, if that is where you are this morning, even if they want nothing to do with God this morning, even if that's true, even if their faith has grown cold for a long time, you just keep living a life of love for Jesus Christ. You keep loving your neighbor as yourself and remembering him in the heat of these kind of moments. And I promise you that they will be listening. They will be marveling at what is always, and to the glory of God Christ in us, the hope of glory. Every single day we have a captive audience, may we all remember that the prisoners, for better or for worse, will be listening.